Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Cat Disgusted. More parasites, because that makes me so happy. Little wormy friends. Um, Remember how last time I said that I could do probably a whole other podcast on parasites because I think they're so freaking rad. Well, guess what? You're going to get at least a whole nother one on parasites. Um, I was reminded by some of my veterinary technician friends uh, that there is a lot of parasites out there and I actually should talk about more than um, than the roundworms and the uh, Dipylidium caninum that we talked about last time that I can cover some two, two other major ones for sure. Uh, and then I actually have a really good venipuncture of the week, which sorry, if you work with me at the hospital, you've totally heard the story a bunch of times because it's like on my top five favorite hospital moments. But you know what? Got to podcast that shit because it's good. Um, so what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about uh, two other major parasites that we deal with uh, in cats and dogs. Um, and they're two that we, I, I feel like, you know, if you own a cat, if you own a dog, these are two that you're going to hear a lot of kind of like rumors about and you're going to be dealing with in your regular everyday cat and dog healthcare life. And so maybe we can kind of answer some questions for you or enlighten you a little bit as to what these little um, demons are that are inhabiting your, uh, your dogs and cats. So those two things that we're talking about today are heartworm uh, in dogs and toxoplasmosis, which is a protozoa that uh, can live in cats. Um, and people, but we'll get to that. So let's talk about heartworm. So everybody who owns a dog uh, is advised by their regular veterinarian to be on heartworm preventative. And most dogs, I feel like most dog owners that I talk to in my everyday through emergency, because we always ask about, you know, any medications or drugs that your pet's taking, um, heartworm preventative is like the number one, number one, <laughs> did I say number worm? I kind of did. The number one thing that uh, is on the list of regular medications for dogs. So why do we do that? Why does your vet advise to prevent heartworm in your dog. Well, let's talk about it. Um, so heartworm uh, is called Dirofilaria imitis. That's its Latin name. It is another nematode. Remember how much we love the nematodes and how nematodes love us. So it's a type of roundworm. Um, this one is different than the roundworms we talked about last week because this one lives in the blood. The ones we talked about last week live in your guts. So they're not like... They're migrating in tissues around your body, but they're not 
roaming around your body in your bloodstream. But these guys totally are. So it lives in the blood of not just dogs, but other canids like uh, foxes, wolves, even sea lions can get um, can get heartworm. Humans, so you can get it. Like there's a Monsters Inside Me episode, which FYI, totally watch that show. It's rad. Um, there's a Monsters Inside Me episode where this woman had a heartworm in her eye. So that is like crazy, crazy rare. Um, but humans can get it, you know. I mean, I guess they can. It doesn't live for very long in your body normally. So like, th- last time we talked about how parasites, they really want to be where they want to be. And if they're not where they want to be, they kind of start to freak out. So heart worm in humans kind of starts to freak out. So it migrates to weird places where it doesn't normally want to be like your eye um, or your brain. That would be super bad. So the way, um, how do you get heartworm? So you get heartworm from mosquitoes. So heartworm it exists in warm climates, like any anywhere where mosquitoes are going to be hanging out a whole lot, that's where heartworm is going to be hanging out a whole lot. Um, the life cycle, it's from the bite of the mosquito. So the mosquito that's infected with um, Dirofilaria imitis will bite an animal and then it migrates into the blood where they mature uh, in the pulmonary artery, which is in your heart. Um, and that's where when they're mature in your pulmonary artery, they're giving birth to little baby worms called microfilaria. Okay, you with me so far? So mosquito bites the dog, dog gets the worms that migrate to the heart in the pulmonary artery, worms mature, give birth to babies. And the word that you hear for these babies is microfilaria. So that's what you see. That's what you see under a microscope um, is these little itty bitty baby worms in the blood. So warm climates, we're talking about like Louisiana, we're talking about Florida, um, Central America, the Philippines, Bali, like anywhere that's tropical and has a lot of mosquitoes is going to have a heartworm problem with their dogs. Um, Cause that's the, the two are kind of one and the same. And, and that's how, that's how the life cycle goes is once a, a once those little um, baby little microfilaria are in the blood. When another mosquito lands and bites you, it's going to suck those little buggers right up in there. And then when it bites the next dog, it's going to keep going. And this is why parasites are so amazing is because it's figured out a way to keep its population going um, within the dog population. So when you see these little guys under a microscope, you do have to kind of concentrate them a little bit. Um, if it's a really bad infection of heartworm that's been going on for a long time, you may be able to just draw a blood sample, smear it on a slide and see little itty bitty baby worms. Um, But there is a test that you can do. It's kind of old school, but we learned about it in tech school called a difill test. And what what it does is it filters the blood and kind of concentrates. They have this little filter that you're kind of, it's almost like one of those AeroPress coffee things where it like, you know, you squeeze the blood through this filter and it filters out all of those itty bitty worms so that when you smear what's left on that on a slide, then you can see them. More commonly, like when you go to the vet and you're going to have a heartworm test, what they're going to do is called a heartworm snap test. Um, and they call it an ELISA test, or you'll hear people say ELISA test. It's E-L-I-S-A. And what that stands for is enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. You got it? <laughs> Test it on it later. So the simple version of what this does is that you get a small drop of blood from a dog 
and you put that small little drop of blood into this test. And what it does is it detects the antibodies for certain things that the dog is making in its blood. Um, the tests that we use at work, they're called a 4DX snap test. And so um, what that refers to is all the things that it tests for. So it doesn't just test for heartworm. It also tests for some tick-borne illnesses. Um, it tests for Lyme disease or Borrelia burgdorferi. Um, it tests for anaplasmosis. Uh, and it also tests for, what is the other one? Oh yeah, Ehrlichia, which is another uh, tick-borne one. That's one that people can get too. Um, so the, the heart, but primarily what we're, when, when you go to like your general practice, uh, with general practice, uh, veterinarian and they want to prescribe heartworm preventative to you, they're going to, and they haven't had a test on your dog within the last year, they're going to want to go ahead and run this test. Um, and it comes up the, the way that kind of looks, it's got this little window on it that has these little dots and these little dots have a control. And then they've got other little dots that'll pop up. Um, if it's detecting the antibodies to other types of diseases or parasites in the dog blood. Um, they have the same type of tests are for parvovirus uh, in dogs. They've got one for cats that tests for um, uh, the FIV and FELV, which is uh, feline leukemia and uh, feline immunodeficiency virus. So these tests are fabulous and they make veterinary uh, preventative, me preventative medicine really awesome. Uh, so the badness about heartworms. In case you haven't guessed, having um, worms swim around in your blood is like not great for for your dog um the the worms once they get into uh the microfilaria once they get into your pulmonary artery uh which is on the right side of your heart once they get there and they mature they can get kind of big and there can be a lot of them that are all gathering in the heart. And that can take, actually can take quite a bit of time. It can take up to six months for that to happen. Um, it causes congestive heart failure is what these dogs die of. You know, it's got this huge obstructive worm mass in its pulmonary arteries. So you start to see things um, that look like heart failure in dogs. They will have like collapse, they'll have exercise intolerance, they'll have a cough because they've got fluid accumulating in their lungs just as if they were in heart failure for another reason. You will also see something that's called an eosinophilia. So by C, I mean you'll see it in the blood. So you have a high white blood cell count when your body is reacting to um, to any to, to any kind of virus or bacteria or parasite. Um, what's interesting about your body when it's having a reaction to a parasite is that it increases a certain type of white blood cell. Um, you've got a couple different white blood cells circulating in your body and, and in dog's body. You have neutrophils, lymphocytes, and eosinophils. Now, eosinophils are the ones that have a freaking party when you got worms. Um, they also pop up when you have really, really bad allergies. So if you have a dog that has exercise intolerance, has been living in a tropical climate, and when you run blood work, you see a whole bunch of eosinophils or an eosinophilia, you got to be suspicious of heartworm. And an easy way to test for that, you run your little um, ELISA snap test, and if it comes up positive for heartworm, ooh, got a problem. So heartworm is hella hard to deal with in that state. Like if you're in the state where they've populated the pulmonary artery like that and they're causing clinical signs of heart failure, that dog is in serious, 
serious trouble because they're just hard to get rid of. And we'll talk about how um, you treat an adult heartworm case, but really this is why prevention is the best thing. Um, there's a couple different drugs that you can use to prevent heartworm from becoming a problem in your dog. Um, ivermectin is one, melbamycin is another one, and those are the, the active ingredients in things like HeartGuard um, that you can buy for your dog uh, from your veterinarian. It's usually a monthly tablet or a monthly chew that they take. Uh, in cats, it doesn't survive very long, and so there's no preventative stuff that we have to worry about for cats. Um, but because nothing is without its own problems, there is something that can happen with dog. Not all dogs tolerate those drugs the same. Here's a fun fact. If you have a collie or you have a dog that's related to a collie, like, you know, with some kind of collie in its breed somewhere, they can have a mutation in a gene that's labeled MDR1. Now the MDR1 gene, if it has this mutation, it can make it really, really sensitive to drugs like ivermectin. Um, Dogs that have the mutation in their MDR1 gene, it makes it really hard for them to flush these drugs from their brain. And it's not just ivermectin. There's a couple other drugs. Like I'm, just the other day, we had a dog that was in the hospital that the owner knew, um, oh, my dog has the MDR1 mutation. And we had to look up the drugs we were giving because we were giving some pain medication to make sure that it wasn't on the list of MDR, um, MDR1 sensitivity drugs. Um what can happen is, is that a regular dose of ivermectin that would be like a heartworm preventative dose for a dog that doesn't have this mutation becomes a really, really toxic dose for, for these types of dogs. Um, it tends to be collies. Why? Meh. I don't know. Humans made a breed and they wanted it to look a certain way. And in order to look like a collie, you also had to happen to have this MDR1 mutation. That's my guess as to how that happens. Um, there's a little like doctor lingo too, where they'll say white feet don't treat um, because a lot of collies have white feet. And lo and behold, the dog that was in the hospital the other day that had the MDR1 mutation totally had white feet. So white feet don't treat, <laughs> or at least think about treating. So uh, adult heartworm infections, let's let's talk about how, how rough that is. There's a drug that you can give for um, an adult heartworm infestation that's called melarsamine. Um, melarsamine is a deep intramuscular injection um, that dogs receive, and they receive several over several months. Um, we do not see this very often in California because we're not living in like a tropical, like, Gulf state. We just don't have a whole lot of mosquitoes that are carrying this, uh, this parasite around. There was a dog that was at Berkeley dog and cat hospital. That was an adopted rescue from, I think it was from Louisiana actually. And we treated this dog for a heartworm, um, a heartworm infestation. And, uh, this particular dog had been showing clinical signs of heart failure. Like it was a young dog, healthy otherwise, not known to have um, any, you know, any kind of, not like an old dog that had developed heart problems. Like it was a young dog that was a rescue, started to kind of collapse on its walks and it had a bad cough, did x-rays, fluid in its lung, ran a heartworm test, bank, totally positive for heartworm. So this dog, the, the recipe for this dog's success was rest. So don't exercise the dog, keep it calm, keep it chill, and then a sequence of these deep intramuscular injections uh, to get rid of this heartworm infection. And it was it kind of kind of crazy to treat this dog because it was because it was a rescue. It was and it was recently acquired by this owner. It was kind of 
sketchy. Like the dog was kind of fearful and would like stress out easily. And so we were like nervous treating it because we didn't, you know, we didn't want to stress it out and like put it in a further heart failure, this poor dog. But luckily um, there was one technician who worked with this dog repeatedly. Um, She was the technician who was there when he was diagnosed with the heartworm. She was the one who always did the injections. She was the one when he medically boarded with us while the family was on vacation and had to like walk him really slow outside. So the sweet thing is, is that this dog ended up really trusting that nurse. And so he wasn't stressed in the hospital when she was there, which I thought was very sweet. Um, So let's see. So we talked about... uh, places where it's existing. Thank you, Global Warming, by the way, for making all these places creep up towards my world here in the Bay Area. Um, You know, when we saw a lot of um, heartworm becoming a problem was during Hurricane Katrina, because that area already um, is totally a tropical, warm, mosquito-laden place. And then Hurricane Katrina, when all those levees burst, it just was standing water, like standing water all over that part of the state. And all the mosquitoes just had a freaking ball. Uh, And of course, the horrible thing about Hurricane Katrina is a lot of people had to leave their pets. And so all the dogs that were abandoned in um, New Orleans when that all happened a lot of those dogs got infected with heartworm. And those dogs, when uh, there were organizations that were working uh, with those animals and with reuniting families with their pets, and they were also working on uh, doing adoptions for animals that had been abandoned in that area. And unfortunately, they ended up exporting a lot of heartworm out of that state because all the dogs that were getting rescued, because it was a really high-profile rescue thing, like they were getting you know placed in other parts of the country. Um, there was a dog that we treated treated at uh, the hospital that I'm at now. We actually treated her for uh, for a laceration. She had a bite on her nose from a housemate uh, and her name was Katrina. And while I was doing the paperwork with the owners to talk about sedating her and like, you know, uh, getting her getting her little her little cut on her nose sewed up, um, they told me her story. And I feel like I should tell you guys that story because I think I think it's kind of amazing. So I asked how old the dog was and they're like, oh, she's a rescue. You know, we think she's, you know, 10 or 12. She was kind of this um, kind of modeledy looking spaniel thing, but she was like a cocker spaniel Sharpe mix. So she had this really kind of poofy, cute face um, with little wrinkles over her eyes. They had, tre- and because she was part Sharpe, they treated her for all these skin problems and eye problems. She was a really mellow, mellow dog. And like, she didn't act like she had a big old cut across her nose. She was just chilling. But they said that they had adopted her from a rescue group that had worked with these animals that were abandoned in uh, in New Orleans from Hurricane Katrina and thus named her as such. They said that this dog came to them, first of all, came to them just skin and bones. Like they had to like feed her and get her to trust them. She swam for four days in the streets of New Orleans before she finally ended up on the roof of someone's house where they found her just basically starving to death and with terrible skin infections from all the grossness that was in the water um, and a heartworm infection. So they had to treat her for the heartworm infection. They treated her skin. They fattened her up. And now she's like a happy dog living in, you know, living in the Bay Area. But I thought that was kind of, it's kind of amazing to be hearing the story from the owner. And then you're looking at this dog. You're like, my God, you swam for four days 
in the flooded streets of Louisiana. And here you are, and I'm treating you for a little cut on your nose. <laughs> it's like, could be worse, I guess, little one. <sighs> I love that story. Um, so let's go from that sweet little sweet little heartwarming story to uh, talking about a protozoa that controls your brain. <laughs> um, let's talk about toxoplasmosis. Okay, so this protozoa is a bad-ass motherfucker. Um, the name of the protozoa is Toxoplasma gondii. That's its Latin name. Um, this one is one that infects cats. Um, cats, uh, they're not normally symptomatic when they have this protozoa. Uh, can humans get it? Absolutely you can. Um, but normally humans also are not symptomatic when they have this parasite. So why do we care? Why do we care about toxoplasmosis if it seems like it doesn't really affect anything? Okay, so when it does affect something, it's hella bad. Um, pregnant women and people who are immunosuppressed. Parasites in general for pregnant women and people who are immunosuppressed are super bad. But this one in particular, big problem. So this protozoa, it lives in these states called cysts. And the cysts have, it's basically like a dormant state of this, of this protozoa. Um, and there's two types of them. The, um, they're called tachyzoites and bradyzoites. And tachy is, uh, is a root word that means fast and brady means slow. Like when we're talking about heart rate is maybe where you've heard this term before. Bradycardic means that you have a slow heart rate. Tachycardic means you have a fast heart rate. Um, the bradyzoites, the slow guys... Not so much of a problem. However, the tachyzoites, problem. Uh, those are the troublemakers. And this protozoa is one of those really, really complicated life cycle guys. So there's like lots of different versions of these cysts that, that float around. But these are the two main ones that we're really worried about, especially the tachyzoites. Those are the ones that cause all the problems. So it's complicated. Um, these guys like to hide in your body. This parasite is freaking freaky. It manipulates your immune system so that it doesn't know that it's there. Um, it infects a host cell and then it takes over parts of that cell, like your mitochondria, your endoplasmic reticulum. It hides in there and it replicates itself. So it's in your muscle tissues. It can be in your brain. Um, but let's, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to cats for a second here. Like, the, cause cats is really, cats is really where all the, all this trouble starts with toxoplasmosis in our lives. Um, cats get toxoplasma gondii from eating infected rodents. So how smart is this parasite, right? It figured it out. It was like, I like to live in the kitties. What do kitties like to eat? They like to eat mice and rats. So therefore, I will just infect the food and that way kitty will eat me. So the cat excretes these cysts or oocysts, which is a great word. It's O-O-C-Y. STS, oocysts, in the feces. Um, this is a fun thing that the infection can alter. And we've only just recently learned about this. This is kind of like newsflash. The infection alters rodent behavior. Like an infected rodent uh, 
it doesn't act the same as rodents that don't have the infection. Oh, I should mention that the rodents too, like the way that they also excrete these cysts in their feces. So that's how they can like spread it amongst each other. So what they do, um, they found that rodents that have this infection, they're more likely to uh, be out in the open spaces. Like if you see rats in the city or in, like in the BART stations, which is where I see them these days, they kind of like hug the walls, right? Like they kind of like run down the tunnels and they're hugging really, really close to the corners, really close to the walls. That's why you kind of see them out of the corner of your eye and then they're gone. Um, rats that have this infection are more likely to veer away from that. They don't hug the walls. They kind of go out in the open, which means the kitty's gonna see it. Um, they're braver. They take bigger risks. They do stupid things that get them eaten by cats. They're also attracted to cat urine. How crazy is that? So a rat that's infected is gonna be out in the open looking for that beautiful smell of cat urine. So this parasite already is impressing me. Uh, infected cats, it's kind of the same as humans, like pretty much asymptomatic, uh, unless they're immunosuppressed. Now, if you have a cat that has FIV or feline immunodeficiency virus, and it's infected with toxoplasmosis, you're going to start seeing signs that that parasite is proliferating out of control in its body. They can be feverish, lethargic. They can have, um, neurological signs because the parasite is in its brain. Um, it's, it's immune system. System, if it's compromised, it can't destroy these tachyzoites, these like this particular version of the cyst that's dangerous, it can't kill them off. And so um, you'll see kitties that have other things going on with them will also be affected by toxoplasmosis. Um, let's talk about the story of Daraprim. What is Daraprim, you ask? Okay, you'll remember this. Remember when Facebook blew up with the story of that hedge fund guy who um, raised the drug price of that one drug that was for AIDS patients? He raised it like a gazillion freaking dollars so that nobody could afford it. He made it like 5,000 bucks a pill or whatever. That drug was called Daraprim. Now, I looked up what that was when that article came out because I was interested as to like, you know, why this drug, why specifically AIDS patients, like, why is it special? Why did he like, you know, the, the whys of why he raised the drug price? I mean, it must be pretty specific to the population of people that needs it. So what this drug is, it treats toxoplasmosis. And that totally makes sense because AIDS patients, people who have HIV and AIDS are immunocompromised and they will not be able to get rid of the little tachyzoites that cause problems um, in their in their bodies. And so AIDS patients are really vulnerable to toxoplasmosis. So my body, your body, you know, uh, is is more it, it's got it's its immune system is better built to handle killing things like that but if you don't have an immune system that's functioning properly um it's going to be overwhelmed by something like a, a protozoa swimming around um so screw that guy first off first off right that dude sucks because that drug is so specific and so needed by a population of immunosuppressed people screw him that's the moral of that story. But also interesting what that drug was for um, and, and why we need it so badly. 
Um, you may have heard this. Pregnant ladies can't own cats or clean litter boxes. Have we heard this before? Yes. So is that true? Well, mm, not really. Um, the root of this kind of like prego myth is that toxoplasmosis is a problem for pregnant women. Now that is true. Uh, pregnant women can pass Toxoplasma gondii to a fetus through the placenta. And when that happens, um, they can abort the fetus. Uh, it can cause brain damage if the protozoa is swimming around um, in the baby's brain. So is it true that pregnant ladies should stay away from cats and litter boxes? Cats, probably not. Um, cats pass it in the feces. So that's why the litter box cleaning is a thing. Cats themselves, I mean, unless you're licking its butthole, which I seriously doubt you are. And if you are and you're listening to this show, you're my favorite. But if, if a pregnant lady can avoid cleaning a litter box that's a good thing because it's, you know, it's aerosolizing. Like, I, I know it's kind of funky to think about, but like you're aerosolizing all those like cysts and everything while you're scooping up all that litter. And if you're pregnant, you really don't want to be risking inhaling any kind of latent cysts and damaging your, uh, damaging your baby. So yes, you can own cats when you're pregnant. Um, avoid cleaning litter boxes when you're pregnant um, because of toxoplasma. It's not your friend. Um, they, you know, what's interesting is that I feel like there's a couple different things that we can associate with this parasite that you may not have known was that parasite. First of all, that movie Train Spotting. Remember when that guy Tommy dies in the apartment? He gets the kitten, and then he dies in the apartment. And they don't find him for a couple days, and they're like, "The kitten was fine." That's toxoplasmosis because he had AIDS and he was living with a kitten, and it was shitting all over his house, and so he got Toxoplasma gondii, and he died. The other syndrome, which I think is really funny, that may be, may be associated with this is the crazy cat lady syndrome. So we all know this kind of weird thing of this lady who lives by herself with like 45 cats in her house and it smells like pee and is totally disgusting. More than likely, that woman is infected with toxoplasmos Toxoplasma gondii because she's living with 45, hat uh, 45 cats shitting all over her house. So... What does Toxoplasma gondii do? It lives in your brain sometimes and maybe makes you attracted to cat urine if you're a rat. Maybe if you're a person. Maybe you're a little bit scatterbrained about the mess in your house, you know, a bigger risk taker with the mess in your house. And also just kind of just generally a weird human. Does the parasite have anything to do with that? Maybe. Maybe. Um, there's a guy, there, there's a study that you can find actually online where this dude purposely infected himself, um, with, uh, purposely gave himself toxoplasmosis and then was saying that like, I'm more likely to cross the street when cars are coming. Um, I'm more likely to run a red light. And like, there's not really enough evidence in his study to substantiate all those things, but there is in rodent populations. So, you know, some food for thought about our world and toxoplasma. I know I got it in my head. I'm, oh, I, I full, full on, I am sure that I am living with those cysts roaming around my body because I've had a cat for 18 years and I work in veterinary medicine. Yep. I've been sucking up toxoplasma for a cool minute. <laughs> I am sure. Oh, it's come to the end of the show. And I feel like uh, we haven't done a venipuncture of the week in a while, and we are long overdue. So, ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite venipunctures of the week. Hey, ladies! 
this Vaynerpuncture of the Week um, stars two gens, <laughs> uh, two gens who who I've mentioned in this show before. Um, this actually happened uh, when my my dear friend uh, Jen Gala was still. Uh, was still working with me over at the hospital that I'm at now. She's very, very busy being a mom to a very, very, very cute baby at the moment. Um, but I miss her terribly at work. Uh, and then former Vaynerpuncture of the Week winner, uh, Jen Hurley, who was also here for this situation for, with, uh, with me, with this kitty. So what this was, we had to, uh, we hospitalized this cat for anemia. So this cat for, I can't remember what the reason was, but this poor old, old kitty, um, did not have enough blood in its body. Uh, so what we needed to do was give it a blood transfusion, um, keep it on IV fluids, keep it in the hospital. Uh, it, it needed some pretty, some pretty dire help. So what we what you have to do to give a blood transfusion, you do have to place a, an IV catheter and then uh, monitor the blood transfusion pretty closely to make sure the animal doesn't have an adverse reaction to it. Because of course you're giving it another animal's blood. Um, so we knew that it was going to be hard because this poor kitty was old. It had been hospitalized before, so its legs had probably been poked a bunch of times by other needles for other reasons. So we shaved this cat's leg and me and my friend Jen Hurley are looking at this cat. It's just like, oh God, this is going to be impossible. Uh, so it, it took us a, a minute to, you know, find the vein and decide what size of catheter we were going to use. Um, she was holding the cap for me. So I was, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a nervous technician anyway, but this one, like, especially I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so hard and it has to happen. Um, the kitty was really too weak to protest, which is also not good. But so it needs things and we have to like get the things going. Um, so, but miracle, miracle of all miracles. Um, so I, I'm a big believer of like the catheter spirit in the room. And sometimes the spirit is with you and sometimes the spirit is with other people, but it's always in there. It's always in the room there for you. It's going to speak through someone. Um, that night, uh, thankfully the Ivy catheter spirit spoke through me. And so I was able to get a, a catheter into this kitty and the first stick, it was good. Um, but it, it definitely, it's so funny, like how, um, I, uh, I definitely, while I'm dealing with the sharp thing with the needle and I get the catheter into the vein, if I'm nervous, uh, that part usually goes great, but then taping it in, like getting the tape around their leg and taping it in securely, my hands will start to shake. Um, Jen calls it the Carrington college shakes because when you're a student and you're learning how to do those things, you're always really, really nervous. So you get really shaky. Um, but I'm just kind of like a nervous person. And so I feel like I still kind of have moments like that. And so that was one of those moments. And so I was like taping this catheter in, and then Jen Gala, she comes up behind me and she's like, hey guys, how's it going? I was like, oh my God, I've, I, I've given myself stress diarrhea getting this catheter in this cat, which is kind of something that like, I don't know, I say that periodically that something will give me stress diarrhea. And um, Jen hears me say that and she's like, oh, well, 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 I got it. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And she's like, no, no, I got you, you go, you, you go, I got, I, I can tape this. And I was like, no, 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 the catheter, the catheter's in, like the catheter's in there. I just got to tape it in. Yo, and I can do that though. You, you, you go ahead. You, you, you go. And I was like, wait, what? And then I hear Jen Hurley being all <laughs> like snickering. And I'm like, why are you, wait, do you actually think I had, di do you actually think I had diarrhea in my pants right now? Is that, is that what you're saying to me? And Jen Gallus like, oh, well, uh. Well, no, I mean, well, if you, if you, if you didn't, then I, I guess everything's fine. I was, I was going to take over for you so you could go to the bathroom or whatever you needed to 
And like at this point, Hurley's freaking lost it. Like like her face is like buried in the cat laughing as I'm taping in this freaking catheter. I'm like, I did not have diarrhea in my pants putting this no no it's 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 fine like let me let me just it's fine okay never mind okay oh you got it all right never mind just just, i'll be on my way then as you were (laughs) so forever i will remember the the night of two gens when um everybody thought that i had stress diarrhea in my pants for realsies well you've wasted another 35 minutes of your time uh listening to me talk about parasites and cats and dogs so thanks as always for tuning in um there's another episode to look forward to with uh our dear friend melanie boyle i'll be going out to tracy and doing another uh episode with her which i'm very much looking forward to um as i'm sure you are as well uh but for now uh i hope everybody has a great uh week or weekend or or whatever it happens to be graveyard shift whatever it may be and uh don't come see me at work Second bird.